Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome to this edition of Grass Talk Radio. Today we've got a special treat not only for mandolin players but for players of any instrument. Today, we are going to listen to a little interview that I did with a fellow by the name of Mike Marshall. And if you were just to type Mike Marshall into Google, you will find out that Mike Marshall is a pretty amazing musician with a very long history. Well, I ran into Mike many, many, many years ago at at about the time when he... um, went from Florida to California and sort of joined the dog music scene. And one time, and it was, it was a little bit later than this. I didn't talk to Mike about this, but I meant to mention it. I wanted to give you a little tip for getting backstage. If you're trying to get backstage access to one of the big stars, you can do what me and my friend Bob McIsaac did. And that is what you do is you show up at a modern mandolin (laughs) quartet show, Bob and I heard that the modern mandolin quartet were going to be playing in Athens, Georgia. Well, Bob owned a 1914 K4 Gibson cello, Really cool thing. And I first learned of the existence of a mandocello by looking at the album, I think it was Quintet 80, the David Grisman record. And I saw this gigantic mandolin and this was before Photoshop, but I thought this is just some sort of photo trick. I've never seen anything. This is a gigantic mandolin. Well, I learned about the mandocello, and my friend Bob McIsaac and bandmate in Cedar Hill, he bought one. He bought a K4 mandocello. So Bob and I decided to go out and see Mike Marshall perform in Athens, Georgia. And so we we tossed the uh, mandocello in the behind the seat in Bob's little MG and we rode over to Athens, Georgia. And all you have to do to get backstage at something like a Mike Marshall concert is show up at the back door holding a, an old Gibson Mando cello case and say, you've got an instrument you want to show to Mike and they let you right in. <laughs> and we walked in, we opened up the case and, you know, shot the breeze with Mike a while and he played that old Mando cello. And it was great. And he, he put on a great concert. But I've, uh, you know, bumped into Mike a couple of times over the many years. I've certainly uh, listened to so much of his stuff on record. And I recommend that you do too. So anyway, Mike is our guest today on Grass Talk Radio. And enjoy this chat with Mike Marshall. All right, so Mike, I think it would be great to sort of dial back set the settings on the time machine and go back a little ways because it's pretty easy for somebody to go on the internet type mike marshall into google and find out all the all the cool things that you've done and and lord knows you've done a lot of stuff over many many years but let's let's dial back because i want to go back to that stuff we don't know about about you you know, how you started. When I first ran into you, I, well, I'm not positive. It was the first time I ever, ever heard of you, but it was, it was all that Grisman stuff happening. And yeah. 
I knew you played guitar and I knew you played mandolin and I knew you played fiddle. But prior to that, obviously you had to learn to do those things. How did you get started? Well, um, I was fortunate enough. Our family was from Pennsylvania and, uh, did nobody in the family played string instruments, but we were Italian. So there was a little bit of Italian mandolin. I found out later in my grandfather's background, but my mom wanted me to, I had a few guitar lessons in Pennsylvania, but hadn't really learned much. When we moved to Florida, I guess I was about 11 or 12, and I was very lucky to have gotten hooked up with just the local guitar teacher there in, in Lakeland, Florida, at the music store. His name was Jim Hilligus. And it was a godsend. Jim was an amazing guy. He wasn't a virtuoso, but he was just one of these great, great teachers. And he kind of started me over on guitar made sure that I learned to read, uh, saying the names of the notes, counting out the time as we were looking at the music notation. But at the same time, he had me learning to play things by ear, and he formed a little bluegrass band with some of us young students. And we ended up going to a a festival, and and that's what really turned my head around. He, he, uh, you know, we went to Livonia, Georgia festival in 1971. And that was when the top of my head kind of came off and I went, oh, my lordy. But Jim knew all about all that stuff, you know, Doc Watson and all the all the bluegrass greats who were playing there. I mean, this was, you know, Ricky Skaggs was probably in the Stanley. Yeah, in 71. Marty probably. Stewart was with the Sullivan family. And, right. And, the, you know, they were all teenagers. And, you know, so I... Uh, unbeknownst to me, I was dragged into this whole world, and I just ate it up. You know, Jim played all the string instruments. He played a little bit of banjo, a little mandolin, fiddle, dobro, bass. He, and he introduced me to all the different string instruments uh, right from the get-go. But at the same time, he made sure that I learned theory and learned to read, and he had some weird groups. He'd get like four guitar players together, and we'd all be on Tuesday nights, we'd be playing things like four guitar arrangements of venture tunes <laughs> <laughs> or playing stuff out of the blockbusters of the 60s books, <laughs> if you remember those. <laughs> Just crazy weird stuff where we'd be forced to kind of sight read. And then at the same time, I was, you know, leaving Livonia, Georgia with a stack of LPs and taking them home and transcribing those mandolin solos off of... Uh, Things like The Country Gentleman with John Duffy or Jimmy Goodrow's solos or right, right. or Doyle Lawson or whatever it was. So I was kind of getting really wide musical education right from the get-go. So I really point to Jim and some of the things he turned me on to early on. And uh, I've always kind of been grateful that, that I got that kind of nice wide start, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think he he's the kind of guy that, um, you know, nobody's ever heard of right. that can be sometimes they're the most passionate about it, maybe because for whatever reason. And he sounds a little like me in some ways that, you know, made his way up the ladder a little bit, but never, you know, had a job, had this and that. And, mm-hmm. you know, was just super passionate about what he was doing and, and, and you know. And I don't mean this in any way to uh, degrade or denigrate anybody 
who has achieved an awful lot, but sometimes, you know, some performers I've run into don't really know precisely how they got where they get, where they got. And sometimes right. the, the people that claw and struggle and, you know, they figured out every little angle and, you know, ways sure. to look at things. And, and, and with me teaching, I've, I've, you know, I've had to stop. I've gotten a lot of weird questions that I've had to stop and think about and go, well, I'm not sure how I, yeah. I, I don't know. I never thought about that. I'll, I'll tell you next week, kid. Yeah. You know, that kind well, of one of the great things about teaching and one of the things I love is that, that feeling of constant discovery where you do have to answer the questions when you see somebody doing something that looks odd and you can't quite even articulate what it is that's going on. Right. Sometimes you have to just search your own self and say, right. well, what do I do? Uh, and how can I help this person? Yeah, I've said, and I love that. Essence. I've said Constant many times analysis. that I learn more than my students from a lesson. Yeah. Uh, no yeah. doubt. I learned yeah. how to teach, you know, from right. them. No, that's a, you know, I'm deep into it these days. So yeah, I, know. I hear what you're saying and I've, I mean, I've always taught, I've always had that, that part of me going on. Um, in fact, when Jim retired, I took over all of his students at the local music store in my 12th year of high school. <laughs> uh, he started a little music store down the street and stopped teaching. And I, I took on his 30 or so students. So right. that's how I, that's how I was able to graduate doing a work study program. <laughs> well, that sounds like me. I think I started teaching in 1982. I, it was just because I would walk into this banjo or this uh, music store and the guy would ask me, he knew I played some banjo back then he's like hey you want to teach I, i've got some people who want to yeah. take banjo lessons i thought well so long as i know more than they do i suppose yeah. i could do it and that's what got me started there you go well you know very soon after that i was able to meet david grisman and head out there you know when that band started and they started with that incredibly exciting new form of music i mean that was it for me i i just um I, I followed that path. Well, so. that, uh, you know, I was thinking about some of the things I would talk to you about today. And I look at that whole California dog music scene and, uh, you know, new acoustic, whatever, you know, yeah. people would like to coin some new terms for it. Sure. Um, but it was very much like what was happening with Monroe and Nashville uh, at a much at an earlier phase that's, that's really insightful that you would say that and i've been saying that lately a lot in the interviews and whatnot that people think of bluegrass as this traditional form that's just american as it can be and it goes back hundreds of years and whatnot yeah not, not but so. that is just not the case right i mean i it said is, in the last episode uh, i was talking about monroe a little bit and i said you know without monroe there is no bluegrass well and it's important for people to understand that somebody like Earl Scruggs was the Bela Fleck of his time. Right, right. There was nobody playing the banjo like that. I mean, he took it to this new place, as Monroe did with the mandolin. These guys were writing their own new acoustic music. You know, that's yeah. really what it was. They are a product of new information coming to the hills, as I see it. I see it as like radio coming to the mountains is what gave this new generation, the Monroe and Flatt and Scruggs and Benny Martin, 
this new insight as to how music could be played. They were listening to jazz and popular music of the day, and they were hearing some classical music, music that their ancestors didn't hear. Yeah. Yeah. Before radio. So it's just like the young generation of internet kids has a new level of access that maybe you and I didn't have as teenagers. Yeah, totally. There was very, I mean, you had to get in a car and go places if you wanted to learn That's anything right. back in the day now you can you can sit at home and oh my God. on your tab i mean the, the resources that are available today isn't it crazy uh, it's i it's insane and i i have i've had some discussions when i was i was doing video editing for watch and learn for a few years and mm-hmm. so i was filming all these guys teaching different things drummers and bass players and blues guitar guys and stuff and several times we had conversations about you know it's funny that the way we're proposing to teach to people today is not how we learned, you know? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But, but I'm not saying it doesn't work because, you know, it just wasn't around back then. Right. So let's, uh, let's go back to this California thing. Um, it was like a big magnet. I, I was down in college in Tifton, Georgia when Mm -hmm. I got my first, uh, Dave Grisman, or I guess uh, probably the first, I guess it was the first David Grisman quintet album. Mm -hmm. Got that. It just blew my mind. I mean, I had a small stack yeah. of Bill Monroe and uh, yeah. Stanley Brothers and Reno and Smiley and just weird stuff. And yeah. I was trying to become a mandolin player and a banjo player and everything else. And I heard this stuff. And it, I guess being from a younger generation and I didn't grow up in a cabin, there was yeah. stuff in this music that maybe I was relating to a, a little more. Um, anyway, it started drawing people out there. I was in a band, uh, called Cedar Hill and we used to play down there around your area. We played. Oh, I remember that band. You were in that group. I I was, but there was a guy in there on Manlin before me named Chip Dunbar. And I had hired the, I hired these guys to play at my own wedding. Oh, I know Chip. He came out to California Right. right around the same time I did before or after. I don't know. Well, I, I often thanked him for leaving town he got just completely eaten up with the idea of the whole dog music scene and smartly and this is advice i've given to people i said well i didn't advise him but i've told other people if there's something you want to do go find the people who are actually doing it and go learn from them just go there and do it there you go and he did like the young kids that are going to boston now to berkeley school of music right right you and I didn't have that option. They weren't accepting mandolin players and banjo players. But, you know, nowadays that's that's a magnet for them. And they're meeting each other and they're forming groups and they're learning from each other as much as they are from Daryl Anger or Matt Glazer or Joe Walsh, right? Yeah. So it's a it's it's geographic. These these kind of things are magnets and you're right. That's that's what draws people to a place. Well a lot he, of you know, when he took off, um it was great for him because he was now he was i think he was taking lessons from you but he created a hole in cedar hill all of a sudden Ah. they needed a mandolin player and i had known them for several years so they were they auditioned a couple guys i got the gig and i was with them for 27 years oh lord just tell the same old jokes and you know (laughs) but we played you know a lot of a lot of places that you places you were probably hanging around when you were a kid yeah and I'm, I'm, of course, still That's hanging around here. Group. 
Chip passed away a couple of years ago. I remember he played yeah, a sad. really nice Gilchrist mandolin, and I, I don't know, no, whatever. I guess his wife still has it. I don't know. That was sad. He passed away way too young. Yeah, he he, you know, he, he knew he knew he had a bad ticker. He just he just oh, knew it. He 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 talked about it quite often. He used to come yes. back for the Cedar Hill reunions we'd have in Atlanta. I think we cool. did them every five years, and he came back to quite a few of those. Um, anyway, let's, let's, let's press on here a little bit to, sure, man. um, keep, us, keep chugging. We could I, probably go for hours. I, I bet we could, if we didn't have, uh, <laughs> other obligations. Um, I, today I, I kind of, I learned something, actually it was last night. I learned something about you that I, it never occurred to me. I started digging through my old records and CDs, just, just seeing if I could, grab a few things that I knew you, you had, okay. had done. And it was, it was insane. It was like almost everything I picked up, you were there, <laughs> you were on there oh, wow. stuff. I didn't even realize, like I, I've listened to you on Tony Rice had a, an album True. called acoustics. I True. flip it over Mike Marshall. I mean, this <laughs> just went on and on and on. And I, I just stopped. I was like, you have been and done so many, many things. And it just keeps on well, rolling. When you get to a certain age, you know, <laughs> it starts adding up. Yeah. After a while. I was I was actually thinking about it the other night when I was playing a show with my wife. And we were just playing all this different repertoire, you know, box. You know, she's a great classical player. And and she loves Shoros. So we've got a few Shoros we play, Brazilian tunes. I'm glad and to hear you say that because I've been pronouncing it wrong, saying Coro. Choro, <laughs> yeah, they pronounce the ch like sh down Choro. there. Choro, thank you. <laughs> anyway, and then and then we're doing Bulgarian stuff because she's from Bulgaria originally, and she can just read anything. I've written out some of my tunes for her, and you know whatever you want to call that, All right. American things. And I just realized, you know, because a lot of her students were in the audience, and they're young, they're like. They're like 17, 18 years old, and they're just beginning, you know. And I realized, well, there is there is an advantage to all these years spent. You know, you just accumulate so much repertoire. And, and then all those experiences you have playing with all those different musicians, that's you're learning from every one of those experiences. And, I mean, I've gotten to play with some of the best musicians in the world, you know, so... And in, and in situations where it was really critical, you know, a recording or right, right. a live show at a prestigious place. And so you're really under the gun and you have to build the muscle of, of you know, playing relaxed and having fun and still being as perfect as you can. Somehow blending all of that together yes. <laughs> and entertaining the folks on top of it. Uh, it, it is... It, it just all adds up to, I mean, it's been a wonderful ride. You know, it's unbelievable that I've gotten to do all the things I've gotten to do. I'm just grateful for it because it's, it, it builds uh, who you are in the end, you know? Yeah. One, one of the things about um, somebody like you, who, who not only performs, but also teaches is that, you know, you're, you're cracking that door for other people who they don't, they may not realize that, you know, their next 40 years could possibly be something like what you've done. They may not even realize that, 
but you open the door and you show them a few things and then it's like lighting a fuse on a bottle rocket just kind yeah. of let it go some of them well, fizzle out and some of them really go especially at a place like savannah where we're bringing in these you know we have six and i'm hand selecting them out of i think about 70 to 90 apply and then i'm i'm I have the glorious position of being able to pick what, which ones might go together well. Right. It's, a, it's a certain kind of mix, you know. Not only instrumentally, what instruments do you want? You want to have a nice balance between the instruments, but also what styles they're all good at. Not all be good at the same thing, and also what kind of personalities they have. And it's this beautiful blend that I, I get to make this stew basically. <laughs> right. Uh, and it is a very hot environment. It's kind of life changing. I think for all of them, I mean, we've got Brian Sutton there and Julian Lodge and this year, Aoife O'Donovan came. Um, so, you know, we're getting to spend all day and all night with these kids and they're very talented. You know, I mean, they, they're writing very, very, interesting and uh i wonder if they realize how lucky they are and how <laughs> difficult how how rare situations like that were they 40 years did. ago they they get it they're they're um you know they're completely undone by the by the end of the week <laughs> hey i was going to ask you something i was digging through um when i was thinking about the whole uh california thing and yeah. I used to subscribe to Mandolin World News. Yeah. Man. And I think I maybe only subscribed for a year or two. And, you know, I was so broke back then. I didn't even have the money to buy Mandolin World News. But I, I just wondered, sure. I, I was thinking, you know, back in the day when somebody joined Bill Monroe's band, when they weren't playing, they were at the farm fixing fences and <laughs> stuff like that. And, and I often thought as I would thumb through those things, there's an article on picks by Tony Rice. And here yeah. is Todd Phillips yeah. <laughs> on how to refinish a mantle. And I just wondered when you went out there and went to work for him, did you also have to do the farm work on the mantle world news staff? Oh yeah. No, that was a labor of love. All of us dove in. I did the beginner's corner, was it called? Right. I do remember saying I guess I couldn't just couldn't yeah. find any, any that addition. article and you know, when I met Daryl Anger, went to his house, there he was over a drafting table <laughs> and they would print it out at the University of California at Berkeley in the basement somewhere on some kind of clear letter set. Yeah. And then he'd be there with an exacto knife and a and a board with lines on it, laying that stuff out. I know exactly <laughs> what he's doing. Glue. <laughs> I was a printer when I you know, rather than run off to California and follow David Grisman, I opened a print shop and I So you know Oh, I, I know what a waxer is and I you know a light yeah, table. There, there he was, man. I had never seen any of that stuff. This is before any of us had a computer man this oh, is yeah, all this done is acoustic style <laughs> paleo printing there you go <laughs> and uh it was fascinating for me and nobody you know it was hilarious because david grisman thought he'd start a mandolin magazine and that would that would uh, be what supported the band <laughs> right because <laughs> well, he never thought he'd make a living doing this weird music you know he thought oh we'll, we'll really clean up with this mandolin magazine well of course 
the opposite is what happened. <laughs> right. Those things are classics, though. Anybody that can get their hands on it, any of the old Mail on World News should do that. I don't know if anybody's ever reprinted them, but if not, they should. Yeah, I think Dick Spruce has a bunch of the old copies that he'll sell. I, yeah. I finally got a complete set from him. And they are just gold. I mean, yeah. it's time material in there, you know. Oh, it's amazing. I, I, I went to see um, Jesse McReynolds a few years ago. A couple of buddy, my, buddies of mine drove up to, to Nashville and met him at, at uh, Ernest Tubbs' record shop. He came down. Oh. He was dressed real nice, had a tie on and stuff. Ooh. And I took that Mail on World News that he was on the cover, and I brought it to him. And he hadn't seen that oh. thing in years. Got him to sign it. Oh, cool. Well, you know, this was, those were life-changing times for me. You know, to little Florida boy who'd never seen anything, to move to San Francisco and get to – I mean, within – Three days of being there, I was in David's house playing with Tony Rice and, and Daryl Anger. And then a week later, they invited me to L.A. to record the soundtrack to King of the Gypsies, which is a movie David wrote the music right. for. And featuring Stefan Grappelli playing the violin with a full orchestra. There was this punk from Florida playing rhythm mandolin <laughs> for David because David had tendonitis. I mean, it was just like, it was like flying. I mean, I just couldn't believe my luck, you know, that I'd thrown into this situation and was able to sink and not uh, swim and not sink. Well, well, let me ask you this for any up and coming musicians. What, how, how did, how did you insert yourself there? I mean, did somebody call you? Had you already put out a record? Well, I had met David. Uh, I'd met Tony Rice when he was with J.D. Crow in the New South. Yeah. Our, our bluegrass band, the Sunshine Bluegrass Boys, had had played some of the same festivals up in Georgia and down in Florida. And probably, I think we ended up jamming in a hotel room one night. I mean, I, So he knew about me. And he had told David, there's this kid in Florida. You know, when you're a young hotshot like that, the word gets around. Yeah. Just like today, you know, we, we you know, we know about young kids that are smoking. Um, I had met Sam Bush. You know, we had gone up to Bowling Green, me and my guitar player, to see the Newgrass Revival um, and have our minds blown. John Cowan had just joined the band. I'd never even heard of John Cowan. We were too young to get in the bar, so we went backstage, and Sam got us special stickers so they wouldn't serve us beer. (laughs) Got to sit in the front row and, be blown away so we picked a few tunes with sam after the show so you know i had i had also been teaching i had my own little school at that point i'd stopped teaching at the music store and just started doing it in this funky little house that my parents owned um and so I had ordered a bunch of the Mandel World News from David Grisman. I just called him on the phone. Right. <laughs> I ordered a stack of his LPs and sold 30 of them to all my students. I said, this is required listening. And so he said, hey, if you're ever out here, look me up and we'll play. You know, So I had a friend living in Oakland. I'm Jim uh, Kirkland, mandolin player. Right. I, I saw Jim. I hadn't seen him in 15 or 20 years, maybe longer. Is he still around? Yeah, he's in Atlanta, and oh, a student of mine was looking for a mandolin. And oh, wow. I can't remember how we hooked up, but he had this really nice old flat iron, and and mm. I had one, and I kept telling 
my buddy John that you know we're going to find you a flat iron. And, oh. and so we went up to Jim's house. This is only, I don't know, it's not been that long ago, uh, a couple months ago. Oh, he changed a bit, pulled that mandolin oh, out, yeah. and now now John's playing a better mandolin. All right. Well, say hi to Jim if you see him. I, I, I will. Maybe I'll see him in 20 showed years. Up. <laughs> I just showed up. I had his address, and I just, you know, my sister was in Vegas. and we went out to Vegas. and I, I lasted a day and a half there and said, I got to get to California. Yeah. <laughs> showed up on Jim's doorstep. He let me crash on the floor and. Two days. He was working already for the Mandolin World News. Right. I remember seeing. I, I knew he had. I think he came back to Atlanta after that period. Yeah. And I used to run into him around town. He'd be playing, you know, oh, different yeah. pickup bands. And I, I saw him playing out Six Flags one time, and we sat Too there much. and picked a while. Well, that was it. He dropped me over to David Grisman's house. And, of course, I already knew all the tunes off the first record. I was, yeah. I was could play them on all the instruments. So... I thought that was completely normal, you know, that anybody who was obsessed with this music, like all of us were, would just sit down and learn it. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, I mean, it it only occurs to me now that if some kid were to show up on my doorstep and knew all my tunes, well, hell, I'd move him in the basement, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Here, son. <laughs> he could be handy if you get a gig. <laughs> mandolin for me. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Mike, listen, if if somebody wants to, I'm sure it's, it's as, as simple as going to Wikipedia or going to Google and punching it in your name. But I, I think probably, correct me if I'm wrong, probably the best place to stay up with whatever you're doing and your uh, your instructional materials, everything is, is probably mikemarshall.net. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my website. Um, although, you know, I'm not so active on it in terms of like constantly blogging or anything like that. It's, right. it's there, you know, I'm even putting up gigs. I'm, I'm pretty, actually not that I'm pretty lame about this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're a busy guy. Most of my energy these days is going to, this um, you know teaching online with the the school of mandolin the artist works right. that I work for, and uh, I, I just love doing that. It's an amazing thing uh, what they've created, and so between that and then playing concerts and finishing up a, a few recording projects, Katarina and I just did one, and uh, she just did a solo recording. So I'm, I'm deep editing those two projects right now, but the you know, every day I'm I'm visiting my website, and I don't know if you understand how it works um, in oh, terms the whole, of the video exchange. Yeah, concept. I've I've I have definitely looked into that. Um, you know, I think a lot of other people are are you know advertising for you. You know, you can go to Madeline Cafe yeah. and pretty well keep up with what's going on. But yeah, I like that yeah. that whole concept. Well, that's, you know. Of, it's, you know, being able to get feedback. I, I've watched some of those. I think, you know, several people have posted examples of it, you know, that exchange. Yeah. And and that's really helpful. I, I do that some with my students, too. I never really cared for the, the Skype one-on-one yeah, live never, lessons. I just found right. it technically just distracting. I've, but that exchange of videos, I think, is a wonderful Before idea. joining Artist Works. It's a very cool thing, you know, just because 
I, you know, especially at this point, I mean, I've done thousands of them, but this, you know, six years into it now, right. and I can really pinpoint and see what's going on with a student. And then, you know, I, I only have to say it once or twice in the, in the short time that I give an exchange and then they can watch it, you know, 30 times or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, so it, I think that it, there's a kind of focus that happens when you watch a video that might not happen even in a live lesson, oddly enough. Oh, I think you're right. You know, cause I taught live one-on-one -on -one lessons for many, many years. And yeah. then I got started doing these video lessons for watch and learn. And the, I, I I can't tell you how many times I've repeated and repeated and repeated yeah, the same yeah, thing for a live yeah. person, but right. you know, you give them a video, maybe they're just repeating it and repeating it at home, but it's there. It's sort of like cast uh -huh. in stone. And if they didn't get right. it, they just rewind and hit it again. You know, there you go. I mean, I've, yeah, it's interesting to me, uh, how it's, how it's worked. really enjoyed it. And like you said, I mean, I'm, I'm learning from them too. I'm learning how to teach because right. I'm, I've kind of got my head wrapped around it pretty deeply these days. They also send me all kinds of crazy tunes. I'm, I love that part. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's some obscure Irish thing or a swing tune or or a, an obscure bluegrass tune that I hadn't learned, you know. So I'm 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 keeping up uh on learning new material constantly. So that's been kind of exciting. Yeah, that that's fun. You know, I I I've always felt like my little niche in teaching was to try to take a beginner and make them sort of like jam session ready, you know, uh -huh. teach them those 10 standards that teach them how to play the chords, you know, just, that's just really kind cool. of like get them where they can go out and actually play. Cause that's when the yeah. real learning begins is when you begin to actually, uh, you know, participate. That's really true. That's a good point. And, uh, there, there probably are 10 tunes. You know that'll get that kick that ball down the road, and just learning to do a good chop and 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 play in time, right, uh, will get you in the game. <laughs> yeah, it. Um, I made a little. Well, let me tell this little story real quick. We'll just we'll finish up with this. So one day, I I I had a student of mine, and we started. You know, he was asking me ten thousand questions, and he wanted oh, to be yeah. able to go to jam sessions. I said, well, let me. I'll write you out the chords to like, man, I gave him 15 or so songs yeah. and he had this little sheet he would carry with him to the jam session and it helped him. You know, he was playing fewer wrong chords. And so I, I began to collect this list and I, I bumped it up to 50 tunes and I published this little thing as a $5 ebook, the 50, <laughs> the chord progressions of the 50 most oh, played yeah. bluegrass. Well, jam hey. well, one I day, love... yeah, let me tell this uh, one day. I'm just looking at, you know, I, oh, I sold a book, I sold a video, and I look, Mike Marshall. I'm like, what? whoa, whoa, whoa. It's got to be like Mike Marshall from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It can't be. I just be... had to see this thing, man. I was like, what has this guy done? This is so cool. It just, I was like, now, why in the world would Mike Marshall want this? He surely doesn't need this. So I sent you an email. And yep. you, you tell me, you paraphrase what you told me. Why in the world did you buy that book? Well, I just had to see how you laid it out. It was just such a beautifully clear, clean concept. <laughs> you know, I, I had like Dark Hollow, three different keys. Right, and right. Sometimes you get these books and they're just a mess to look <laughs> at. 
you know, because they got every verse written out, and or they have the chords written over the words, right, right, which is you can't tell anything about what bar you're in, or they just stick them in one key, and you know, right. the beginner he needs a little more hand holding. But I, I well, you might have forgotten what you wrote me. You said since say? I've moved to Germany. I'm jamming with these guys, and I'm tired of calling out the chords. That's what it was. That's <laughs> exactly it. I was at this jam session with these guys, and they don't, you know, they just don't know the repertoire. They hadn't even heard it. Right. right. It's not their music. So, well, listen, oh. Mike. I appreciate the five bucks. Every time I sell <laughs> one of those things, everybody out there can just think Brad Laird just got a new set of mandolin strings. There you go. Well, I'm going to a jam uh, Wednesday night in Cologne. Tomorrow night, yeah, and uh, it'll be my first time going to play some what they're all about. Um, but I, I, you know, I have to tell them about your your book and that they should all have it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Required, <laughs> required purchasing. Um, but this is a cool group of guys that are poking them, everyone with a poker, trying to get it going in Germany. You know, <laughs> and then. It's, May, we're going to, Katerina and I are playing at the EWOB Festival, which is outside of Amsterdam. It's the European World of Bluegrass Convention. Ah, neat. It's kind of like the IBMA of, of Europe, if you can imagine. I've got some Swedish bluegrass friends that oh, met. Uh, they came over here kind of on bluegrass pilgrimages several times, and I've stayed in touch with them pretty good over the years and i'm just sometimes just shocked it, it how strange would it be if i were into swedish folk music yeah. and well, and i wanted to just all i could wait for was to travel to sweden to go to a swedish music festival It'd be kind oh, yeah. of strange well i'm i'm totally into swedish fiddle music <laughs> <laughs> as you may not know we actually daryl anger and i did a cd with vesson this amazing group from sweden uh, Sweden. Anyway, that that's like me being in, into Brazilian music. Right. Yeah, I'm going uh, to interview some of those Swedes. To go to oh, it's amazing. Their fiddle music is awesome. You know, it's all in three, but it's three uh, groups of four sixteenths. So it's not really a waltz. It's like da 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 there's a dance to it. Oh, it's really cool stuff. It's called a polska. Not a polka, but a polska. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing, like we were talking earlier about the access that people have now to all these different musical forms. We're, they're so lucky. Well, we're also lucky. Uh, and, and, and just this is, this is what's going to make the new, new acoustic music, right? Yeah, I wonder about, like, when I look at my son, he is just about to turn nine. And, of course, he was born into this world where yeah. all this stuff is here. He he thinks of nothing to jump on Google and da-da-da. And, and yeah. you know, we had to truck down no, to the library. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> so I, don't, I, I hope that they understand, you know, it takes a person who was there when it began, when it changed. You remember the old and the new to really appreciate yeah. how how lucky people are today well, i think it's um i sometimes think of it as like you have all this width you can go to all these different places but there's just as much value in digging deeply into one thing 
and and going as hard and deep down into it as you can, whether it's old time fiddle music or Irish music or or just deep into the traditional bluegrass thing for a while. You know, uh, I mean, I probably could be accused of being a jack of all trades, master of none on some level, but do homework in my early days looking at the bluegrass thing pretty deeply. But so I'm always encouraging like these young hotshots to kind of think of it in terms of going in both directions. Yeah, I think that that concept is true. Even let's say you've got a beginner, you know, maybe somebody learned to play the banjo and they're trying to learn five tunes at once. I've always said, get good at something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get really good at that, and then that'll help you do the second one, whether you know it or not. That's right. And that's, that's true for styles or individual tunes or that's right. anything. Yeah, that's you know, try to be good at something. Well, I'm big on, you know, hear uh, all the notes of that beautiful song played. You know? right, right. And it's one of the, one of the trickiest things about bluegrass because it's so exciting when you get those tempos going. And, and, uh, it's often one thing to play a chop at that tempo, but it's a whole nother to, to actually get all those eighth notes and get to where you can hear them, you know. Uh, and, and that's that's where I, I tend to focus people back in on, hey, let's let's clean this thing up and make it as nice as we can, you know, and really appreciate every note. Yeah, I think when you get our age, and I think you're about two years older than me, I'll be 60 in July. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly two years. Um, you know, at a certain point, speed isn't as important. I listened to some old tapes <laughs> of, you know, me playing with Cedar Hill back in the in the 80s. I can't even, I can't even believe how fast. We just ripped through everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And today, I can't comprehend it like that. I just, no you way. know. <laughs> no way. <laughs> that's, I guess that's why young people, you know, are born because, you know, they can, take it up and you know you don't see many you know 50 year old prize fighters or sprint runners either there you go there is a bit of athletics in bluegrass well mike i'm gonna i'm going to uh direct everyone to mikemarshall.net and i'll put a link on the show notes page for anybody in the audience that you know knows how to get over to grasstalkradio.com just slide down to the mike marshall interview and i'll put links to your site and also to your all, all your lesson materials and things hey thanks brad thanks mike all right do well well mike's a pretty amazing musician and i encourage you to go to grasstalkradio.com slide down to the show notes page that says mike marshall interview and you'll find links to his own website and various other Mike Marshall things that are found on the internet. Mike's a great guy, and it was a whole lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I will talk to you in the next episode.